Welcome to the Training Edge podcast. Happy New Year's, everyone. Uh, with the start to the calendar year, I get uh, pretty excited because I can almost like feel my athletes start to twitch with anticipation of potential events that are coming up. And I think after you know this past year of events getting canceled, it's almost an even greater anticipation and desire. But for that reason, it's also one of my favorite times of year as a coach because you step back with each athlete and review past year's accomplishments and, you know, possibly failures as well, and then plan out what goals they have and what accomplishments they're looking to achieve over the next year. So in general, it's just a very positive and focused time. Um, So I hope everyone's having a great um, start to 2021 and are writing some good goals for the year and beyond. But on to today's episode, Um, I am tremendously excited to have Jim Miller join me today. A few years ago at a coaching summit, I actually sat down at a table with Jim where he was leading a round table, and that discussion actually inspired me to replicate that to some degree on this podcast. Um, so Jim is an extremely accomplished coach and someone that has inspired me over the years in his own coaching, or for my own coaching, and Jim is the High Performance Director at USA Cycling and has personally coached more Olympic medal-winning athletes than any other coach in the U.S., um, Jim, thank you for joining me, and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great intro. Oh, uh, you know, as you, you talk about your athletes moving into uh, the new year and, and things get exciting. Uh, I I couldn't agree more because for me, January is the month where you can start moving past just some of this base fitness that is yep. just monotonous. And as a coach, you finally feel like you get to start riding training. Uh, so, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more about January. Do you find yourself uh, a little apprehensive? I'm finding myself like a little apprehensive with how many events got canceled last year um, to you know get hopes too high, I suppose. Yeah, and you know, typically I'm a very optimistic guy. Uh, I prefer sunny days to cloudy days, um, but I'm not overly optimistic about at least the start of this year. I am I am optimistic about the year itself, but but Q1 feels like uh, more of the same to me. Yeah, yeah, same. It's almost uh, a lot of my elite guys. It's basically trying to use this period to the best that it can be without maybe races or early events, and then really that focus on the later portion when maybe quote unquote it's more hopefully for sure. Yeah. You know, for me, a lot of, uh, at least the events, uh, April, May, June, July, uh, and knowing how the world tour races went off last year and, and, uh, nothing really bad happened. Uh, I'm really optimistic for that. So it gives you like a, a place in the future to, to work towards and know where you need to have an athlete at, at that point. So to me, it feels like you're confident. I'm confident enough to to start really riding training and we start pushing and and working towards those sort of you know four or five month away goals, hmm. uh, even though I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple months. Right. Possibly more pivoting, but at least a little bit more yeah. hopeful. Um, well, sweet. Actually, like uh, I have a question that's sort of in regards to that, so I can I guess I can go first. Um, so Jim and I are going to do a roundtable format again, kind of just going back and forth and chatting, kind of like what we've been doing. Um, and uh, so my question, which I was just curious to kind of like pick your brain in, on your process. Um, 
so basically what is your and this is a loose ish question but what is your approach to creating a plan to help athletes achieve their goals so when an athlete comes to you and with a goal you know in mind like what questions do you make sure to ask them and then how detailed are you with outlining that and really like setting it in stone on a full year plan or anything like that yeah good question um you know, one of the very first things I'll ask an athlete is what do they want to accomplish in the sport? Not necessarily that year. Because um, it gives you some long range perspective of where they really want to be. And then I, then I generally have a conversation about what that's going to take and what that requires. And within that conversation, then you find people, uh, they either are really reinforcing that that's what they're after or they're starting to back off it. And then you can direct your your goals conversation towards uh, maybe something else. So uh, like like an example, if I ask a uh, 21-year-old uh, male racer, road racer, what they want to accomplish, 100% um, of the time they tell me they want to ride in the tour, they want to be a better climber, they would like to time trial and sprint better. <laughs> right? So you're like, okay, well. <laughs> uh but then you just start breaking it down, and, and generally by the end of the conversation, I can get it down to, I would like to ride in a, a professional team and make money and make a living at this. Uh, if that means I'm a domestique, or that means that, that I can win small stage races or single day races, then that's what I'm really after. Um, but occasionally you get the guy who's just dead set on, this, this is my direction, and uh, you're with me or not. But that helps me really understand where they want to go. And then we can break down those sort of big goals, uh, audacious goals. And I will encourage them to like, to, to don't be shy. Don't not say it, you know, tell me if, if you want to be Olympic champion, say it, and then we can start talking about it. But if you don't say it, then we can't talk about it. Um, but from there, then we can start breaking down like, okay, this is what it's going to take to get to there. And this is what we're going to have to do this year and this year and this year and this year. And I'm working back from that sort of big picture. Um, and then we can break it down into the year. So, so then you've just broken it down to such bite-sized pieces. You're like, okay, you want to be an Olympic champion. You want to ride in the tour. Um, great. We'll keep that on the, on the burner. Uh, but to get there this year, we need to accomplish these three or four things. Um, and then that's what we'll work short-term towards in, in like a year plan. Um, but then mentally in my mind, I'm like, okay, this year I need to do this year or this year and next year. I need to really develop an aerobic system, or um, with this athlete, maybe we have to we have to significantly improve an anaerobic capacity. Um, so whatever it is, I start formulating my own strategy of what I'm going to do and uh, my plan for that athlete uh, over the next year, next two years, next three years. Um, but always breaking it down to that, that single year, and then within those those single blocks that you build, and and it just starts to put together a really good roadmap. So you think pretty long range. Do you, I like that. I think that's, I like the concept of having like a, a lifelong or a lifelong path within what the athlete wants to achieve. How, how much of this stuff do you uh, walk through with the athlete? So like if you're talking about like, I want to do this with them this year and this with them that year and then this the third year, do you walk them through that whole plan? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll typically walk them back from the goal, but then when we get into those individuals, I'll talk about the, you know, maybe the, the few things we want to accomplish this year. And if we're talking about 2021, 
I would be pretty detailed about what we're going to try to accomplish and goals we're going to try to reach and how we're going to reach them. Uh, and I may loosely say, you know, next year I would like to, to if we if we're able to do this and we're able to develop these energy systems, then next year I'd like to spend more time on this. But if that takes 18 months, it takes 18 months. If it takes two years, it takes two years. Um, and and I recognize that uh, I have a little bit of a luxury in that I can think long term. Um, most of my athletes are are in that arena. If, if I did private coaching and had my own coaching business for a long time, and and I fully realized that a lot of times you only get one year with an athlete, and you have to get them to a, a certain level quickly so that that you retain them or you have an opportunity to work with them a second year. But uh, for me, uh, it's it's a luxury, and, and I am able to think long term. I wonder, like the. I guess when an athlete comes to you with a goal, then are you pretty particular with those long range, uh, mindset approaches? Do you normally say, okay, you want to get to the tour? Just using this as an example. Mm -hmm. Um, let's target that within this time frame, or, um, is it normally a, an approach of, all right, let's see what we're able to achieve, um, within like this period. And then we'll yeah. assess how close that is. Yeah, the, the the tour is it's a weird example, but it's actually a pretty easy one. Okay. Um, if if somebody wants to get the, that's their goal to ride the tour, um, the first thing that has to happen is they have to get into a world tour team that rides the tour. Right. So now you're not really focusing on getting into the tour; you're focusing on getting them what it's going to take to get them into that world tour team, and and now you can start backing that up to what what goals do they have to accomplish that would attract a world tour uh, director. Um, what do they need to do in order to accomplish those goals? Um, what races would be supplementary or or secondary things that would confirm your talent uh, that would that attracted the world to a director? So so you're just backing them up to you know pretty simple steps when you when you think about it. Um, most people would be like, oh yeah, of course you have to be in a world tour team. Um, but that that was never part of the goal, right? That was never like I want to ride in a world tour team. I like that because it's the it's a good approach within making it step by step and kind of mm -hmm. like giving them something to focus on first rather than this just humongous overarching impossible task. Um, yeah. So like even if you have an athlete wanting to ride, you know, the first hundred milers, then it's in I guess a very simplistic term. It's like all right, well let's get you to to ride 10, 10 miles, yeah. and then let's see yeah. how how that goes, and then let's get you to twenty. Yeah, I like that, and it's I think a lot of at least a lot of my athletes in the past have had a tough time, I guess, like stepping away um, from their main objective and then uh, focusing on the little things and to kind of build that staircase, I think would help that a lot. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because you can even break it down to a local road pro in Boulder. And, and if that's their goal, it's like, well, um, you, you know, you ride for, 303 you ride for Rio somebody mm -hmm. um, How are you gonna get there? It's like well look you're only gonna get a couple shots at stage races Gila Joe Martin Redlands um, You got to do good in those races you got to You got to perform and the, the goal of performing is for me would be hopefully to attract like a pro Conti team whether mm -hmm. it's uh, preferably rally because I, I have a ton of confidence in Charles and 
Jonas. I think if you get a chance to ride there, they're they're going to they're going to take you to the next level. Uh, but they also race in Europe, so you get to race a lot of stage races in Europe that you never hear them racing at, but they're always racing. Um, so for me, it's like get take those first three races and target them, and say I need a good result because I need something to try to get into a Pro Conti team. If it's not rally, there's plenty of Pro Conti teams in the world that you can chase, but but you need that first step to get to that team. You get into that team, and then you get the racing. When you get the racing, and you get the consistent exposure to that top level of competition and that and that load, you will adapt. It takes time, but you will adapt. And when you adapt, then you can then you can target races that will attract world tour teams. So it's it's really like a, a pretty consistent stepping stone just to, to get into the next level and the next level and the next level. And and once you get that big attention then then you can make those then you can get a world tour team and then you have a chance at the tour yeah um yeah and i've um interesting i've been talking to a junior recently about um he's basically only focused on kind of like two steps ahead instead of like the the momentary step in front of him um like he really wants to get on a big team but he needs the results first to be able to do that um and it's kind of like focusing on the glory before the um the step to get there um mm-hmm. but yeah so that's that's another kind of like take it in, in stride kind of thing but yeah that's i like that approach yeah very cool so very cool that's really how i break it down it's, it's super simple but i i do like to uh boil it all the way down to to the most simple basic step and then it's easy to focus on and and using that whole sort of uh, pathway analogy we just discussed. If if we've decided Hilo or Redlands or Joe Mart is your opportunity to to do a GC result or win a stage or win a couple stages to attract a, a bigger team, now you just you've really broken down to to three races that you're targeting, and now you can even break down your training into what do I need to do to get those races, and what stages benefit me the most, or could could I have the greatest chance of performing in and and now I'm going to, to Gila, not with just hoping to get a result, but I'm going to Gila saying the best day for me is day two or or day four, right? And mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do. And, and I'm going to ride an easy time trial because I'm going to go for it in this crater. I'm going to go for it on, on uh, Gila Monster Day, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you're now you're really starting to think of what it what it takes. Now you're, you're tailoring your training to that and you're, training, you're tailoring your cycles to that. And even even the uh, short term, anyways, the energy systems you're you're targeting uh, that would that event or that stage would demand, and and all with the big goal of of getting to the tour. But it's it's so far removed from from attacking on the crit day and Gila because you're trying to win the stage, right. uh, but with the big goal of going to the tour. So that's why I always like to to know what they want to accomplish really sort of uh, challenge him on it, push him on it, tell him what it's going to take or her and, and, and then saying, okay, here's how we're going to break this down. Do you, I know this is going to be a little bit, of course, individualized, but do you have a, um, I guess like at what point do you say, Hey, this is too many things that we're focusing on right now. Let's like step it back and, and focus on only these how often does that take place, or when does that take place? Um, I would say pretty, pretty uh, frequently. Um, okay. 
I actually try to keep things amazingly simple. Simple for me is, is training can get really complicated if you let it, but it also, uh, it, and when it does get complicated, it's not overly fun. Um, I look at a ton of training programs and the majority of the times I think back to myself as a bike racer, I mean, it's really how I, how I think about a lot of training is, is I would have never done that. I would not enjoy that. If I had to bring a cheat sheet, uh, or had to stare at a, a computer on my stem to tell me what to do next, I would have been like, okay, this is not that fun. Um, I like to ride and I like to, you know, you tell me you need a, uh, like, you know, a staple of my training is, is just long, hard zone two rides. And, and, uh, I call them endurance plus, but all the time I'm like four hours endurance plus means you walk out the door, you step on the pedals, you don't let off them. You don't stop for coffee. Uh, you, you, you pound them out and you, you'll come home with, you know, big kilojoules and that's it. There was no, there was no, nothing fancy in it, but it, it's an amazingly effective workout. And I think it's bike racers. I mean, what really pulled us all into bike racing is this sense of exploration on your bike, right? Mm -hmm. And riding new roads and finding new trails and, and riding, riding down dirt roads that you don't know. If, now we know because of GPS, but, uh, in my day, you didn't know where the dirt road was going, but the only way to find out was ride it. And sometimes you screwed yourself and sometimes you found an awesome new route. So I always try to keep it fun. Um, I don't want to waste mental energy on performing or executing uh, a crazy amount of exercises in a single day. I think like one thing I've noticed is athletes sometimes always wanting this like I don't know, I guess like sexy workout that they can be doing every single day. Um, but I also try and like step back and have them just find again, not staring at their computer or not worrying about if their workout is uploaded, like having just focusing on riding and focusing on the, like whatever road is in front of them. Um, yeah. I think that. mental energy is a real thing. Um, if you're mentally fatigued going into a weekend, and then you get into a hard race, you get slammed in the gutter. Uh, your mental energy battery is already half expired. Yeah. Um, I, I prefer people coming into the into the weekend or into race with that mental energy battery fully charged and and ready to go. It's a tough one to work on. So how do how do you work on that with your athletes, or how do you encourage that with your athletes? Well, I think of a lot of it is that that's just the, the trick of keeping it simple. They don't have to use that battery to get through their training. True. Um, there are certainly times where you have to, you have to train that and you have to, you have to push on that. Um, and typically that's all your intensity, right? Anytime you're doing threshold intervals, they're, they're, they're not the most fun things to do. They're not the worst. Uh, anything above threshold then becomes the worst. Um, but it doesn't take a, a ton of that work to become really, really good at it. Uh, so don't do a ton of it. You know, if you can, if you can get away with four or five sessions and, and you can charge a, that anaerobic capacity a bit, then, you know, call that, that's good. Um, more isn't always better. I have 
for me, there's, <clears throat> there's a, you know, I, I think I've talked about this a lot, but I use a lot. Of, I don't use a lot, but I, I will do five by fives. And five by fives are one of those workouts. You could do three by threes and probably elicit the exact same physiological response. Uh, but three by threes mentally are easier to get through. They are. Um, a five by five, you have to fight and you have to dig in and, and you do suffer. Uh, but that really does teach you how to suffer and, and to be that, have that sort of warrior mindset. And, and when you get into races, you're not as willing to, to give something up, give up a wheel, give up a position, uh, come out of the group because you fought, you, you've taught yourself to fight. Um, so for me, the, there are, there are workouts where I think they're, they're as mentally important as they are, uh, physiologically important. Yep. Agreed. I mean, it's, and then I find myself kind of planning around where to plug those workouts in to make sure that that's not something that will be like, they have basically time to both physically and mentally recover from that yep. style of an effort. Um, similar with like testing and, and other protocols like that. Um, it's, yeah, it's, you have to kind of like be <laughs> respectful of, uh, how what the blow might be from a workout like that more than just being tired you do yeah <clears throat> and there are ways to go about it right so you don't have to do five by fives every day you can do three by threes and get the physiological response but there is a time that, that the five by five is important for the men mental uh, aspect as well i'm curious i guess like how often do you feel that your workouts are actually training um, the mind more than I guess the body. Uh, good question. I, you know, I thought for a long time, I, I've been doing, I call it endurance plus, uh, it's effectively zone two rides, mm -hmm. but I've been prescribing these since the late nineties. And I always felt, I always have all my athletes can almost always time trial. I rarely ever have an athlete that can't time trial. And I've always thought that their ability to time trial and, and mentally sustain that longer effort is directly related to those even longer endurance plus rides. So I, I think there's probably more of a mental component to, to my training than I probably realize or acknowledge because I've been doing it for so long. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do think that, that a lot of the training does, does mentally make somebody stronger and, and put them in that sort of warrior mindset. Yeah. It's also like what I've been thinking about lately is how, when you're building out an athlete towards a goal and you have them set within maybe like a certain block that they're working on something, or there's an outcome or a goal that you're focused within that period for, um, like will, where will that put them motivation wise when they come out the mm. other side? Like, will that make them more motivated or will that be less? And then in response, what do you do on the other side of that build to correct that or, you know, offset that, yeah. uh, or use that in a way? Um, and that's, that's a tough one. Cause you have to, you have to know what makes them tick and how they, yeah. you have to get them to be honest too, uh, which yeah. is not easy. <laughs> Um, yeah. Around yeah. competition, I like, I like to have good outcomes and workouts. Yeah. Uh, is there approaching competitions that, that gives them confidence. Uh, so I'm, I'm really cognizant of, of workouts around competitions that, that, that they have a good outcome. Uh, 
there was year, years ago, uh, speaking of the mental side, uh, when I first started coaching Christian Armstrong, it was 2002. And probably the fall of 2002, she called me and she's like, hey, it's going to be raining here all day. And it's only like 42 degrees. And at the time I replied, I was like, well, why are you calling me? And she's like, well, are you going to change the workout? I was like, no, the workout's the workout. I was like, put your jacket on, go outside, do the workout. And she was like, oh, okay. She never again asked me to change a workout. Um, and that we're, we're talking 15 years of coaching. Wow. Uh, never asked. And we were, uh, years later, we were at a site visit for Beijing Olympics. We were there in the winter. Beijing in the winter is freezing cold. It's humid. It's cold. It's dreary. It's gray. And it was about 27 degrees, maybe 25 degrees, 22 degrees. It was cold. And I'm like, well, we can't ride. It's not reasonable to ride. Uh, we'll just drive it and take a look at it and see if the weather changes the next couple of days. And she literally looked at me and she's like, uh-uh. She's like, we ride. <laughs> We ride in all weather. That's what you told me. And I was like, oh, shit. I'm going to have to ride in this. Okay. So we get dressed. We ride for four days in this weather on this course. The very last day, she's we're, we're getting dressed. She's digging through a bag, uh, putting on shoes, and she pulls out these uh, sticky hot pockets, the, the heaters that go under your, your soles of your shoes. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, I have two left. Do you want them? And I'm like, have you had these all week? And she's like, yeah, if you have to ride in all conditions, you have to, you have to be prepared for all conditions. I was like, so you've had these all week. She's like, every single ride you have me do cost me $3. <laughs> and, and I'm like, but yes, you can ride in anything. And so fast forward to that to all the way to Rio, final race of her career, last time trial. Uh, we wake up and it's pouring rain, just dumping. And I think she was probably the, the, the most calm person that morning of anybody in the entire field. And she's like, well, look, it's raining, whatever. It rains all the time. We ride in the rain all the time. Um, I don't care if it rains. And that was her attitude. And I'm like, that's because she's ridden through all weather conditions for 15 years. Yeah, it, it could have snowed that day and she'd been like, well, you just have to wear different gloves. <laughs> Man, uh, I mean, it, one, I guess, just like perspective and uh, character of, of champions and, and two, also like just the power, I guess, of um, I guess just the influence of, of something that coaches say, like your, mm -hmm. your influence in that moment affected her for the rest of her career. Um, in a very long and successful career so that's pretty pretty cool like that's pretty uh fascinating and empowering to have yeah, that and that's the, you know i guess that's the mental piece of it right right yeah strength mental mental strength um and that's funny that it, it kind of bit you in the butt too because you had to ride in it as well yeah <laughs> and i can tell you it was freezing cold i bet <laughs> <clears throat> for four days i froze do you, um, just like a side question, but do you often ride and recon with riders? 
Um, yeah, I like to ride. I mean, as I'm getting older, I'm less and less uh, fit enough to ride with them frequently on recons. Uh, but if it's an easy day, I'll always ride with them if I can. Um, but I do like recons. Uh, I recon all the time. I will, if if it's an important event and something uh, we're targeting, then I will always know what that event is going to demand. Which for me is always recons. It's really cool now with you know with Google Maps and yeah, and yeah. Bella viewers and Stravas. I mean, you can you can know so much about a course without. Um, even yeah. being there, I mean, you know, ten years ago you had to you had to be on site to to really understand it, see it. Um, now you can you can do a lot without being there. Are you the? Uh, I guess if you're in the car, are you the the type of uh, coach that uh, I guess is constantly talking to the rider, or is that dependent on kind of what the rider wants? Yeah, it depends. Uh, depends on the rider. Depends on what motivates them. Uh, d- depends. I would say on the length of something. So a road race, like if I'm a director on a road race, you only talk when when you need to. Right. Um, you're just sharing information, uh, etc. Uh, time trials. Time trials. We try to go in with a really strong plan in the from the get go. If there were if there was not a radio communication, they would be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, in which case you can you can change your approach to providing information, but also a lot more motivating because they're they're following a a run sheet or a plan already, and you're just talking to that to that plan. Yeah, it's I I guess I've had a couple athletes that are either less is more or need a lot of encouragement. Then I was always somebody that needed a lot of reminders <laughs> as an athlete, but. Yeah, it's just interesting yeah. to see who and what wants what. Yeah, yeah. It, I find it really interesting in time trials how some athletes need information and others don't want any at all. That that that's always been interesting to me, uh, and and both can be successful. Uh, right. It's just a. I really think it comes down to a, a different personalities and yeah. and you know if you if you are getting negative splits or positive splits, I should say, and you're, you're falling behind. That is demotivating, uh, in which case information can be bad. Yep. Um, but at the same time, if, if you're getting negative splits and, and you're going away, that information can be extremely motivating. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's interesting. Reminders of uh, information I always found very helpful. So, you know, no matter how many times you run through a plan, um, there can be a lot of different sections with a time trial within a time trial to think about. So having those reminders in, in your ears is, is always a nice thing, whether or not that's like carrier momentum here or give yep. a little bit more there. Like it makes a huge difference. Yep. Yep. All right. Yeah. That was a, <laughs> A long question. That was great. That yeah, stemmed into quite a bit. Yeah, it is good. I can, I, I can talk training all day long. It's... Yeah, I like it. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, what's, I guess, like, what's your first question? Ooh, I was so busy answering questions that I didn't think about questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think my first question would be, uh, uh, 
I guess, what are you thinking about the year as you, as you look at 2021 and you're, you're starting to plan for your athletes? Uh, what's your level of optimism on what's going to happen with the race season? Yeah. Um, I guess the interesting part that I am lucky enough to be challenged on is I have a like pretty wide array of athletes and, and within their goals and what their backgrounds are. And, um, there is, uh, yeah, it can cover everything. And the, the super neat part is, um, I coach globally. So I also have a lot of different, uh, you know, lockdowns still to take in consideration. Um, you know, I just started working with a new athlete that, uh, is in Ireland and they, uh, they're in full lockdown right now. Um, so they're, his training's all inside and he's training for a, a you know, a 200, or sorry, 2000 kilometer event or, or more, um, over the course of like seven days. Um, so it's a, that's a, a new puzzle to play with and, and work with, um, especially compared to, uh, some riders that are just wanting to, you know, be, you know, the fittest they can be. And then also others that are, you know, targeting maybe like unbound gravel and different gravel races. And then also elite and pro athletes that are wanting to have a full, fruitful uh road season so the interesting thing is kind of like stepping away and, and not having any sort of um i guess like true opinions on what i think will happen this year as far as like how if the races might happen or not um and then my approach has been i'm really trying to take what i've learned from this past year to say okay well we need to have something in place just in case these races don't happen so that we aren't, you know, pivoting rapidly just in case. Um, and that has been really helpful because I think that's allowed, um, athletes to think deeper. So like a lot of what I've been encouraging is, okay, you have these races in place and here's the plan that we want to take. Um, but let's say it gets topsy turvy again, let's have things in place so that it's still you feel fulfilled and you're still able to push yourself as an athlete. And what is that? Um, so that's been kind of like, all right, what kind of adventure ride can we throw into place? What kind of, uh, you know, high intensity or, you know, very focused interval set can we really hone in on? Um, is that something in your power profile that we're really targeting? Like what can it be that will really make dividends happen later on? Um, which I don't, like, I think I had a little bit of that before 2020 took place, but not to this degree. Um, and that has kind of changed how I approach um, 2021 and beyond, I think, which is good because I think that progressed me as a coach um, in general. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that a lot of my athletes, I'm having them uh, focus on kind of like a beginning of season kind of goal and then more like with even more focus on kind of the races past June. Mm -hmm. Um, and that to kind of save that safer bet, um, and then still use this period really well. Um, which I've been kind of thinking about a lot lately is, um, some athletes really struggle with a really long build out. So if they have a goal in, you know, August or September, that huge build is something that a lot of my athletes kind of have to, they, they don't get there sometimes. Sometimes they need that 
intermediate peak or intermediate build. Um, so that might be, you know, in May or something like that. Um, so that's been interesting because I've been trying to say, all right, well, if you have a race in May that you're really targeting, I put a big emphasis on finding a use of that period if that race doesn't take place um, so that we can still kind of have that reset and then rebuild towards the later portion of the year. Um, but with the uncertainties, it's just kind of, all right, where do we put that? Um, so yeah, that's just been an, an interesting thing that I've been debating with lately. And um, I guess I'd be curious on what you've had to deal with on this front, but with a lot of team camps starting to get planned or taking place, um, it's kind of like, what is the, what do these team camps get used for and what is their priority right now? Um, and, you know, like, I understand that's one thing on like the world tour level, but then, you know, on like the, maybe like continental side, um, what are those camps for if the races aren't until, uh, you know, June, July, that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm and how to plan that and, and shift that and then give athletes objective as they're coming into that camp um, as well. So that's just been something I've been thinking about lately. Yeah. The team camps right now are very interesting because it's, it's, you know, still the question of, is it, can you create a bubble? Can it be a safe environment? Yeah. Uh, you know, is it just, is it just, uh, PR and what they're doing or is, are they really doing it? There's, there's always, you know, all those questions. Yeah. Uh, right now, personally with my riders, I would just uh, probably stay on the safer side of it and be like, if, if you don't have to go to camp, then it, is, it feels like an unnecessary risk. Yeah. And, and I think if you do all that, you take all the precautions, you know, single rooms, masks, etc. Uh, you really are minimizing your risk and, and you're doing about everything you can do that, you know, the danger periods are just simply traveling and not necessarily in the plane, but at the airport, um, in the cars, that's, that's a pretty confined space. Uh, but on the bike outside, uh, I think at this point we have to be fairly confident that it's, it's okay. It's, it's minimal risk. Uh, I was really pessimistic last year about the, world tour races, the three grand tours back to back to back and mm -hmm. their ability to maintain any sort of bubble. And <clears throat> those guys always have compromised immune systems and respiratory systems at the end of grand tours. I'm like, there's no way we make it through the first grand tour. There's no way. Um, and then as they started going off and, and I, I don't know about everybody else, but I loved last year's race season. Oh yeah. It was um, amazing. It was, yeah, it was awesome. Um, Every every day, it felt like there was another good race to watch. Yeah, and uh, and nothing. They didn't really have any COVID outbreaks. Uh, I was, you know, I was fairly skeptical about it. Uh, I did talk to a handful of team doctors. I'm like, is were they did they exist? Were people just sent home? They weren't announced. I mean, what was it? Was it there or was it really not happening? And they're like, honestly, it really wasn't happening. It's amazing. There was, there was nobody. We were testing all the time. Uh, the the positives you heard about, we all heard about, and that was really it. I'm like, well, that's, you know, for me, that's like super optimistic that we can have a season in 21 because it, it, you know, at least has the 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 image that it, it can be done and it's not highly risky. Yeah. Um, I would have to say the other sports too: football, basketball, baseball. 
they all got through their seasons and and really you know there's there's going to be some positives but for the most part it wasn't uh detrimental and didn't wasn't widespread so i think i think sport is is okay um i guess probably full disclaimer i'm not a medical doctor right. um, but uh that that's how it appears to me um so camps i'm like yeah, maybe an unnecessary risk but if you have to go you have to go uh you just have to do everything right so what you were talking it made me think about uh you know, as you as you as we went through twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, how did you manage all the? Uh, I need a challenge, and I need I need to race. I'm dying to race and compete, and it became these uh, endless series of Strava challenges. Yeah, uh, that you were managing and trying to trying to keep an athlete on track, build fitness uh, for whatever impending season you thought might happen. Um, but then you have these. I want to do this Strava segment distraction. Mm-hmm. How'd you handle that? Man, it was definitely a very challenging year in like, uh, just in regards to my years of coaching. I, I, this is definitely the, the, the pinnacle um, as far as what has kind of pushed me. Um, and it's a good thing. It, it, you know, it made me be creative. It made me uh, really kind of dig deep, but I think, I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I think, giving an athlete a goal is an incredibly difficult thing um, because they, you know, they need to believe in it and they need to want it too. So it, it, it can't be just something that you give them and all of a sudden they love it. Um, so it has to be kind of like back and forth a little bit. And that was, that was tough at times. Um, but it was just creative, get into it. Um, and that was, you know, Strava goals, yes. Um, also, just uh, there was a decent amount of like power goals within perspective of future years to come. There was also just a definitely certain times of the of the year where it was you need to yeah just be in love with riding and take advantage of this period because it's a great time to you know build out your foundation, whatever it might be. Um, a lot of it was creating uh, exploratory goals. So like, Hey, is there somewhere cool that you've never been to kind of like within your local area and can you go get there on a bike? And, um, that worked out really, really well. Um, some of it was like a, a scavenger type thing where it was like, okay, we have these four points that you've never seen before, um, in Colorado. Why don't you go see if we can map a way of seeing all of them in one ride? Um, and doing that kind of stuff and just coming up with cool, different creative things to allow them to continue to progress as an athlete, but also have something to get excited about and strive for. And, um, but yeah, man, it was, it was, it was tough sometimes. And like, depending on where an athlete was, um, you know, living, like maybe they were an athlete that, uh, maybe was in the Midwest or something like that. And then as such, you know, they are so used to traveling to really cool places to to invigorate themselves, and then all of a sudden that wasn't there. So then it's trying to figure out how do we make your, you know, cornfield box that you live by um, something cool, and that was pretty tough <laughs> to do. Um, but yeah, it was just constantly thinking and constantly trying to figure out uh, the depths of what makes an athlete tick and, um, 
what I actually found as a result, uh, because I spent more time asking, you know, what mattered to them, mm-hmm. that it wasn't just like, okay, you want to get a top 10 at this race, um, you know, nationally. It's what makes you tick as an individual and how is your, how is your life and are you happy? It's just a deeper understanding and relationship with that athlete. And because of that, it ended up resulting in like really good and productive coaching athlete relationships by the end of the year that I would say was, would, was better than, you know, a lot of the athlete relationships I've had in the past. Um, and as a result, had, like I'm still working with all those athletes. So it's, it's a pretty miraculous thing. And it, it was definitely a, a good eye opening. Like it's a, a kind of a dumb moment of, of course, if you, put more energy into knowing and understanding what what like desires that athlete has beyond just a result sheet then you get of course a better relationship out of it but um i think that because those results also were taken away the athletes were more receptive to being more open and it was also just a very raw year in general so then they were also more open to sharing things so that helped and that's i think like a huge wonderful lesson that came out of this is like oh maybe i should keep this going even after quote unquote everything returns to normal yeah nice i like that yeah yeah it's been a wild ride um, <laughs> to say the least and let's hope that 2021 is not the round two yeah or 2020 was the precursor to the main event yeah it's uh, so okay I'll, i guess we can move on to my next question so I, I i guess just to um pick your brain entirely while we have the space and time to do so um just a, on your thoughts and focus and uh hopes for your kind of like the new um, Olympic Development Academy that you've uh, you know created and what the what the goal is there and what you're looking for with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. So I think uh, you know there's some information out there. I think Fred Dreyer wrote a story. Uh, he told the story he wanted to tell. I don't think it was particularly fair. Um, he knew a lot of the information that that he didn't. He chose not to write about. So. Uh, it's not the national team. The the academy is not a national team. Um, we have a we have a set amount of money set aside for scholarships, uh, so we are we are lowering the 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 bar on the financial burden there. Um, I think the the important thing to understand is the structure of it and how it works, or or at least my vision for it. And if you if you just work from the top down in 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 our structure, so we we can talk about it, but. For us, it's Olympic teams at the top, and then world championship teams. Uh, below that, you would have um, professional teams. Um, below that, you'd have a national team. Um, national teams, for me, in my mind, are Nations Cups. Uh, they're, sup- they're super crosses. They're World Cups. They're fish events for BMX freestyle. Um, and within those those World Cups or Nations Cups, it's all levels. So it's 17, 18, it's U23, it's elite. Um, no, no discrepancy there. Um, below nations cups or below national team. Uh, then you have these sort of elite, uh, 
junior teams or U23 teams, and these are your actions, your Avolos, your Hincapies, your uh, Hot Tubes, Lux, mm-hmm. Bear Devo on on the mountain bike um, trackside. You could look at Sprinter's Edge or or Big Picture, um, but but teams that have some resources and they they go places. So under those teams would be the ODA, and really the thought of this is is uh, national team is, is merit-based. It's, it's strictly you've met some sort of criteria that's put you in the national team and, and you've done something to get to that level. And, it, and that level is really about uh, international competition. Um, development happens there. There's, there's no question development happens there. Uh, but but it, is, it is a higher level. Um, and a national team will pull from a, a professional team above them down into events uh, and they'll pull from these sort of elite junior U23 teams up into them. Uh, the ODA sits below all of that in, in these elite junior and U23 teams. And it's really for, uh, I think, the great vis- the, the best visual for it is it's for the guy that didn't get into those teams. So when, when Lux is choosing 10 guys to be in their team, when they get to spot 10, they're choosing between one or two guys. And one guy gets the selection and the other guy doesn't. The kid that got the selection uh, goes into a team. He gets great infrastructure. He gets great races. Or it could be she. Um, they get good coaching. They get good director sportifs. They get good race schedules. They get good training camps. They get good equipment. They, they get a lot of opportunity. And the guy that wasn't selected, where do they go and what do they do? They, you know, they may have a, a club team, but they may be at the point where they're looking for that next step to get to that international level mm-hmm. and so the ODA was the, really the the idea behind the ODA is uh, to provide that form and give them access to good coaching give them access to good races give them access to good training um, give them access to a, a good peer group their age um, give them access to training groups and training camps and keep them on the same trajectory um, so th- that was really the the uh, idea behind it and then you know for me i think cycling is is weird enough if you're a young guy um life is weird enough when you're when you're in your teens uh, early 20s as you're trying to figure out who you are how how you fit in how how the world works um and then you throw it throw in a sport like cycling where it's off base it's it's a little bit weird and this may not be exactly the case in boulder but it is the rest of the world right um and, and you're sort of out there uh, you're hanging out in spandex and you're doing it by yourself. And if, if you have a team, you're probably riding for a master's team and you're the one or two young guy that got pulled in the master's team because they want to do something good for their community. Uh, but no, there's no way you can slice it. If you're 17, 18, 19, uh, hanging out with masters and training with them is that's not where you want to be. You want to be with your peers. So this was an opportunity to be with your peers and it, it has some cachet. So, you, you rock up into your high school and you've got an Olympic Development Academy logo on, uh, you automatically have a little bit of status. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden your sport that is weird isn't weird because you're doing something big. So it's cool. Um, as we looked at uh, my challenge with, with development and developing athletes is uh, the way I think about it is, is it's about consistent exposure to a level of competition that creates adaptation. So we can take an athlete to a block of racing. They can do three, four, five races. They come home. 
that was a good experience. Um, they, they probably learned something, but it didn't necessarily create any adaptation. I can take that same athlete and give them a calendar March through September and consistently expose them to that level of competition and they make that adaptation and develop. So the goal of the academy is to not compete with any of these teams. Uh, we're not, we're not going to recruit riders out of their teams. We're not trying to beat them. We're trying to give these athletes that didn't get a chance or they weren't selected to these teams an opportunity to develop or have a, a good opportunity and a good platform and a good team a good resource to, to develop in and get into those teams. Um, and then those teams can take them and race them and, and do the races they do. And they, you know, they all do a marvelous job of, of, of racing and developing athletes. And, and the goal of it is just to put them in those teams. I think, uh, I think a bit of the challenge with this was, you know, Fred's story, he, he wanted to focus on the money and the cost of it. And mm-hmm. it's a headline for sure. And it's, it's sensational. People click through his, his Twitter feed, his Instagram feed, they go to Velo News and read the story. Um, that's not lost on me at all. Uh, Velo News sells ads. They, they make their revenue on ad sales, and they need click-throughs. So that's, that's how Fred writes. Yeah. Um, but the truth is with bike racing is, uh, you know, you build these calendars like I just talked about that an athlete would develop in. Uh, you put them together, and, and I'm 100% confident you go through this 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 race schedule and these training camps with this group and, and with these uh, coaches and with, with these training plans, you're going to be a better bike racer. So we, we built that, we built it that way and then built a budget afterwards. And the truth is budget bike racing is, is, is costly and it's expensive. And uh, my mandate for this is that it's a, it's a revenue neutral. So we don't make money, but we don't lose money. Um, it, there's no secret that 2020 was brutally hard on USA cycling. Um, any sort of, uh, nest egg or resources that we, we had were spent, they were, they're exhausted. Um, so this isn't a, and, or we do this, or we do the national team. Uh, we do Olympic teams. We'll do world's teams. We'll do national teams. Those aren't going away. Um, if people are interested in this ODA, then there is a, another pathway for the, for those athletes that, that weren't selected and, and they can continue their, their progression. Um, you know, for me, when we did this, uh, we, we really thought hard about the cost and how do we minimize that? Or how do we, uh, subsidize that? Or how do we, how do we lessen that burden? Um, and you know, honestly, like year one is going to be, I recognize it. I know it. It's going to be difficult anytime you you bring something new to the table and you change the game a little bit. Uh, people inherently hate change, um, but the initial reaction and is, is very human is to hate it. Uh, the second reaction is then to look at it, see how it works. The third reaction is to see how it works for you and if you can make it work for you. So I know that we we catch some heat. Uh, it's never fun. Criticism is never fun. But I know where this program will be in, in two or three years. It'll be, it'll be a good program, and we'll have a good uh, athlete scholarship fund developed. We'll have, we'll have a significant amount of money in it that, that can go to lessening the burden, but it's just a matter of getting that flywheel going and, and starting to populate it, uh, show that this is a very valuable 
tool for, for somebody who chooses to use it. Um, we do have some resources already to, to apply to scholarships so we can beat down the price. Um, and, and that's our goal is, is this definitely not a revenue generator. It's just a, a additional piece to the pathway uh, that, that didn't exist. And I think it's, I think it will fit and fill a need that was empty um, and, and give opportunity. So um, yeah, and th that's, that's really it in a nutshell. Um, and really, I think ultimately nobody gets to say whether it's uh, a success or a failure, except for the market itself, right? Right. If if people join it, they they become part of it. Uh, they see it as as valuable and and a good you know a good option for them. Uh, then then it is valuable. And if nobody becomes part of it, or if they get in it, they don't it didn't do anything for them. Uh, then it'll be invaluable and it will it will go away. So um, that's that's really a quick quick synopsis of it. Yeah, I mean, when I was my first reaction, basically when I was looking through it, was well, one, I thought that the um, what was being offered was phenomenal. I mean, the schedule that you have in place um, and the opportunities that it presents, I think, is amazing. Um, and I agree with you. You know, essentially. Uh, you know, the national team is one thing and the pipeline there is it, it's a tough one. Like you, you have to kind of like prove your worth to get to that step. Um, and then the larger teams that exist naturally, nationally are, are amazing. They are, but they are of course limited. Like they can't have an unlimited roster. So it is something that that barrier as well is, is tricky. And there are a lot of juniors that I've talked to and, and do work with that are not quite to that place yet. Um, and then what they have available to them is kind of minimal. And even in a Boulder, a place like Boulder, which is, you know, exponentially uh, more, I guess, like has more opportunities than a lot of other places within the country, it's, it even has its limits. Um, so I was excited to see this program available and to give people more options. And if you, you know, compare to other sports and compare their pathways and what their other programs they have in place. Like um, this is something that I think is, is quite progressive and you know, that yes, the price tag is, a, it's a tough one, but like, it's also something that isn't too outlandish. If you, if you look at other sports and what that um, it's actually quite low compared to that. So it's, yeah, I understand that it can be fo like a little bit too focused on, but, you know, I was pumped to see this opportunity arise. So, yeah. 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 And I think there was also not a clear distinction uh, with, with the difference between the ODA and the national team. And they're, they're not the same thing. Yeah. The national team is a hundred percent separate. If you're in the ODA, it doesn't give you an inside track. Um, it's, they're just, they're not related other than being in a pathway. And, there's a lot of there's a lot of pathways, right? I mean, I, I get this question all the time, like, what's my pathway? And I'm like, well, it depends which one you choose. Yeah. You know, uh, you we can offer a pathway, and you can go through it. Nike can offer a pathway, you can go through that pathway. Um, BJR does it has an awesome pathway, right? It's it's like go through BJR. Um, there's there's a million pathways, and there's millions of ways to to 
slice it and get to where you want to get if if you really want to get there. And that probably goes back to our original conversation of goal setting. Yeah, totally. And and if if you know where you want to be, uh, and one door closes, all that means is is you go through the next door, or you 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 find another way. Yeah. And ultimately, so, like you need in order to create your pathway you have to get to races and then you have to perform at races like that's the first step so this is a, a pretty good opportunity to get there and then show yourself and, and learn and develop um and seemingly in a place that has good guidance as well which is also really rare like to get uh, an american to Europe and to have an opportunity there with people that know what they're doing, um, who have been there before is like, the, that's a rare thing that doesn't really exist, um, here. So yeah. yeah, that's what I think too. And, uh, you know, I think if you take an athlete, you give them a good director, you get them in good races, you can expedite that, that development curve. Mm -hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean that, that you can, uh, you can go to the same race. You can go to Belgium. You can race Kermesses on your own. You can uh, you can go to Joe Martin. You can race on your own. Gila on your own. You can do all this on your own. But if you don't have somebody who can help you through tactics, help you through decision-making, help you through racing, help you uh, focus on the right thing, um, you'll learn it, but you learn it the hard way. And the hard way is slow. Yes, it is. And the hard way comes with a, a lot more failure than... Uh, something like this. So I think that, you know, the real goal is that, yes, you get to go to some really good races. You get to be part of some really good competitions, but you also have people around you that uh, can coach and they can educate you and they can teach you tactics and they can, they can expedite that learning curve. And, you know, not only do you get it once, but then you get to, you get to repeat it the next week or the following week and you get to apply those learnings and, and that that's when development starts to really happen. Yeah. Have you had a pretty decent amount of interest in the program so far? You know, um, I think everybody focuses on the criticism, but the interest has been huge. Great. Um, we started with uh, in this in the summer, we started with partners and sponsors and anybody of, of if somebody who's coming into is a partner uh, for a national champion event or um, the national team or any, any, any of the properties that we sell sponsorships on, we started with, uh, part of the deal is you have to, you have to commit money to the, uh, Olympic development Academy athlete scholarship fund. So that's the opening discussion. Cool. Um, nobody has trouble doing that, right? It's like, Oh, that's a good thing. And we're not, we're not making an absorbance. So we're not, you know, telling a, a sponsor that you have to put in $25,000. We're just saying, look, 2,500 gives 1,500, but something has to go into that pool. Um, and everybody feels good about it, so they do it. Um, we've got, we, I mean, we have a handful of sponsors already that have done it and are lining up to do it as we're finishing deals right now. Cool. Um, in terms of coaches, th this was actually really surprising to me. Um, the first probably week that we announced this, I bet you I had uh, in the neighborhood of two dozen coaches reach out and say, I want to be part of this. Amazing. And my goal for this really was that it is an athlete pathway, but it's also a coach pathway. Cool. Um, for me, I'm super passionate about coaching. I'm super passionate about coaches. Um, one of my, my 
regrets my first tenure at USA Cycling is I didn't do enough to create coaching pathways. And this go around, I'm going to do that. And that was a secondary goal of mine with the academy was, was this is a great coaching pathway. It's a good place for coaches to come and learn also and learn from good coaches and, and then also have their chance to apply this. So that was, that was really cool. Um, and then the athletes, is, this is a little bit mind-blowing for me, but I checked yesterday and we have like 453 applications. Wow. So for me, That's I'm amazing. like, okay, look, I, I caught a little bit of heat. Uh, when you're leading change, and especially if you're leading change from, from the federation side, you're going to get hit. That's just part of the deal. Uh, I got, I have a pretty stiff chin, so I can take a punch. Um, but just the athlete interest alone is, is really confirmed to me that, that, okay, there's a need here. Yeah. Um, and we're on the right track. Uh, you know, will it be better in year three than year one? Yep, for sure. A hundred percent. No question. Um, if we're, if we're talking about a startup, uh, our business plan is, is probably, to not be great for five years, right? So you got to give things time. You got to give them a chance. You got to not be so critical of everything that comes your way. But uh, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be really cool, and it's a great opportunity. And and uh, ultimately, I suppose the the market will tell us whether it's it's valuable or not. But I think uh, I think it will be. Yeah. Ultimately, like it's a, another opportunity. And that's the sport needs it, and American mm-hmm. cycling needs that. So I'm I'm all for it. I think it's amazing. So um, I also give you a lot of credit for taking, I guess, all the for having your stiff chin. I guess is a good, way, <laughs> good way to put it. Not always easy, but yeah. uh, like I said, nobody likes criticism. It's not fun. People that say they do, they're lying. Yeah, totally. Um, at the end of the day, we're all human, and that's. That's not fun, but but sometimes it's required and it's part of the deal and you got to do it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you talking about it. I mean, that's, I think, yeah, I mean, it's good to have more information on it and, um, it's pretty cool to hear you have that many athletes excited to jump into it. That's, um, remarkable. (laughs) Good luck. Uh, I guess sorting through sorting through it yeah. now <laughs> yeah yeah i mean year one i i didn't really know what to expect i'm like you know we just uh we, we built it as bare minimum break even mm-hmm. uh with the idea that that in the future you could have uh if you if you just think about a u23 road level you could have uh an a team b team c team and those are all competing at different levels you could have you know a domestic c team racing normal events you could have a second team in europe racing smaller european events you could have a really good team in europe racing bigger events yeah. uh, and then as you progress through your your the career there you you would step up as you were able to and that, that's how i really see it working so i'm like you know in, in a couple of years we'd get to these numbers but these numbers straight away year one i'm just like wow are we even capable of spinning this up and scaling it like that and i (laughs) think the answer is no because i I prefer to really perfect how we do this first and then try to scale yeah what's uh i guess when you're going in and and deciding then this first step is 
of this academy like what i guess sort of rider are you wanting to start with because there's like all sorts of, of places to land within development so i'm just kind of curious like what what is that initial point look like that you want to take yeah my, my first fear initially was that we're going to have a handful of riders and they're going to be at, at all spectrums of yeah places in their development and you're going to have guys capable of, of riding in the front group in europe and then you're going to have in the same team guys coming out the back in 20k uh and I just kind of accepted it as like, okay, that that's how it's going to be year one, and it'll, it'll get better. Uh, but we'll we'll try to provide the the best coaching to each person at the level they're at, and and make each person better, and, and worry about it that way. Um, in terms of where we're at now and how we what we do and how we make those selections, uh, we're working on it. When we came back from Christmas break, we had it open through Christmas. We decided to extend it to January 15th, um, and we're actively discussing how, how we want to go about making those selections. Um, I think really where we're headed is is we're not, like I said earlier, we're not confident in Q1 and what can happen. And I don't want to start a team and not have something for them to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to... I don't want to fill their time with, with zoom calls and zoom meetings and, yeah. you know, things that, that we should do anyways, but shouldn't be a substitute for what the program is. So what I'm, where I think we're really going to go with this is like a super semester. So rather than trying to do two semesters, we'll, we'll do something like March or April, somewhat discipline dependent on a start, but, uh, like a March or April start through the end of the year. So, um, same price. So just one semester, but, uh, a lot more, a lot, a lot greater opportunity for us to get them to the right races and, and have some confidence that we can actually get them to races. Is this something that you're envisioning, um, touching on multiple disciplines in the future too yeah so this is the this is the big thing this has to be uh we we oversee five disciplines mm -hmm. um and we we really were looking for a way to be consistent uh, have some consistent programming and opportunities across all five disciplines not not just one um when you look at a discipline now you have it, we take we can take road for an example but you have uh we do do a 15-16 program. So you have 15-16s, you have 17-18s, you have U23s, um, you have the elites. So just within the road discipline, um, on the on the men's side, we're talking about 14s. On the women's side, we're talking about 17-18, U23 elite, so three teams. So men, road discipline alone, seven teams, one discipline. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's amazingly expensive to yeah, do development awesome. across the board for them. And now take that into four more disciplines and, and we're not looking at one team. We're looking at effectively 30 teams and how do you, how do you provide a consistent level of development to those athletes? And all NGBs are faced with this in, in all sports, but all across the world, even in our own sport. And, um, typically you see the NGB get a sponsor. They can run a really good program for the duration of that sponsor. The day that sponsor says they're out, that entire thing is scrapped, and and that's just not 
that's not long-term athlete development. That's yeah. that's short-term athlete development based on an opportunity. And, and this sport's a little bit messed up that way, right? I mean, we're we're 100% dependent right now, even at the the very top, on a rich guy who falls in love with the sport. It's it's not sponsor heavy. Um, you, you see sponsors and you see names on jerseys, but in most cases, those are subsidized by by somebody extremely wealthy who is investing money in the sport. So that inherently, the sport inherently is in a in a difficult spot, and trying to find a way to focus on long-term athlete development that's not that that, that remains stable. Um, for me, I think this is this is probably how it has to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many? times do we see uh riders of all levels really achieve a good series of results and then kind of like have their uh i guess funding or uh, platform kind of like pulled up out from underneath them um and it yeah it stops that program and then it can stop that rider from progressing forward too so yeah it's a tough yeah i mean that's that's plagued the sport as long as i've been in it and i've been in it for 30 plus years so uh so yeah it's like let's let's think of a way to do this and and think outside the box and and let's throw a different idea out there and and not try to do the same thing um, i think in, in, you know in, as we talked about long-term development there another thing that i think is good out of this is we've agreed uh internally that if we do have revenue positive at the end of the year um, that's that's not a revenue stream for USAC. That's not money that's going into the USAC bank. This is going to be rolled back into one of two things only. One being athlete scholarships the following year or infrastructure and staffing to run those teams. So if we have to scale up a team, that, that has an additional cost. Um, but if, if this starts to become uh, really successful and positive and, and we do have revenue at the end of the year, that just makes athlete scholarships even easier. You can do more. You can give more. Um, you can, you know, at the end of the day, we can't spend money we don't have. But at the same time, uh, we can spend money we do have. So, so I think, you know, my optimism for year three versus year one is is we get this going, and then as it goes, it it really goes. I hope it does. I, yeah, we yeah we need it. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I know that locally, like there's been quite a lot of interest in it. Um, so I know a lot of those people will be interested to hear what you have to say about it. Um, and I know this is, uh, kind of a, a tough question, hundred percent. Um, but you know, the other thing that's been brought up and I'm sure you've, um, heard this, but is the kind of like inclusion approach of mm -hmm. uh, diverse backgrounds. So I was curious to kind of pick your brain on that one because um, I know that that's been brought up at least to my ear. So I was curious what yep. you thought on that side. Yep, it, yep. it is. Um, and it, it's at the forefront of our minds as well. We, we started a, uh, we have an executive director for a DEI group. Um, I think USAC started that late last year. Uh, sorry, 2019. Um, they were prepared to announce it about the same time COVID happened. Uh, so it didn't really get announced 
uh, until maybe May or June, but but it had been in the works for a year. Um, so we have a group. They're they're highly focused on it. They're also focused on raising money to support uh, DEI efforts within the academy. Um, our goal is is to really uh, be able to provide about 25% of the academy costs through scholarships, and including DEI. Um, the, the academy scholarships, uh, first and foremost, are going to be based off need and not merit. So, so if you if you come from a high need background, then then you are going to be much higher on the list than somebody who just accomplished some results, uh, but but doesn't have the need. Um, and and that's where I, I look at the academy is is more need based, and the national team is more merit based. If you produce the results, you get the you get the team. Um, but if, at this level, if you have a need, then then that that takes precedent. Cool. And I know that because so, USA Cycling has also been, um, you know, I know when I was there more recently, you know, the, the president was talking about um, kind of like uh, basically like bike share or and or getting um, kids on bikes kind of programs that are starting in that way um, is that I guess that would also be another good platform within kind of inclusion and then hopefully a ramp into um, yeah we or the academy yeah we've made we've made a lot of efforts in this front this year um, quietly but I, I'm really happy with what we've done uh, another another initiative we started in athletics is uh, we're calling it the let's ride camps and, and this is really an elementary Sort of bike rodeo idea, uh, elementary level, maybe middle school in some cases, but but that you know under 12, let's say, level, and and there's a lot of people doing a lot of good things in this space. So the idea is not to be uh, um, competitive with them, but be complementary. Um, if they're if somebody's doing something really good in this space. Um, let them do it. Let them stay there. We're not going to come in and step on their on their turf. Uh, the flip side of this, I think we have this this huge ability to scale, uh, in that we have you know 1,600 coaches. We just did a deal with another group that brings in another 3,200 coaches. Um, we have clubs. We have events. Um, so so we have a really big opportunity to scale these type of camps. Um, anytime you're looking at like a, a volunteer type workforce, then there has to be something in it. So the way I'm looking at it with coaches and, and probably a lot of the, a lot of how I think, uh, is from a private coach standpoint and what do they need and what's valuable to them? And how do I, how do I provide something, uh, of value to them that, that they want? And at the end of the day, you know, you have a business to run anytime you spend money that affects the bottom line and. How do you offset costs, or how do you increase revenue, or or how do you decrease expenses? Those are your those are your levers, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at like with our coaches, like you know, look, we're going to provide you this let's ride camp in a box with everything. Um, it's turnkey. How do you talk to your school district? How do you talk to your school? How do you talk to your church? How do you how do you talk to your YMCA? Anywhere that we could hold a camp. Um, how do you how do you interact with those? Uh, those groups and how do you how do you convince them to let you hold this in their in their school or whatever it may be? Um, we're going to give you the curriculum. All you have to do is run through the curriculum. It, it's it's relatively simple. The, the goals of it are simply helmet safety, 
uh, a little bit of bike skills, which they won't even know they're doing because it's, it's fun stuff. Um, and then how do you how do you ride safely to school? And and the goal being that when you're done with this this day camp, that you, uh, but more importantly, your parents have a level of confidence that you can ride your bike to school. And and when you ride your bike to school, then like we were when we were kids, you've got 15 to 20 minutes before and after school that are yours and nobody can tell you what to do with. Yeah. And you naturally explore your neighborhood and it's fun and your buddies are doing it and it's it's awesome and you fall in love with the bike because you only associate it with fun so i think those are going to be really big um i am really i think they're cool we have mari holden who's uh in charge of facilitating those and recruiting and outreach and the biz dev piece of it um, so we have a dedicated person to to making it happen um, we we've we haven't announced and i don't know how much i should say to this but but we finally have come to an agreement with nika um wow. so we're, we're super excited about that that that's a big deal for us that that was five maybe eight years in the making yeah wow um, so we're really excited about that. Uh, we announced that all junior licenses are free. Great. So uh, I think a lot of good things at this this lower sort of community grassroots level uh, that are happening that, that maybe aren't as obvious yet. But once things start happening in racing and events return, then it will become more obvious. Great. I mean, th- so like one of my something I really enjoyed within kind of like the local, uh, I get PRT circuit is that a lot of these races have, um, basically like school programs where they mm-hmm. um, have the teams show up and do school presentations, um, to promote bike riding and bike safety. Um, and just the amount of like glow that you see on these kids faces. Um, and that's just to see a bunch of pros stand in front of them. And it's, uh, if they have the ability to also ride or like have a program, I think that would be well received. And that's in like, you know, for example, some of the better ones we I've done were in silver city. So like, that's mm-hmm. not exactly a community you would expect to just be, um, flocking to riding bikes. So that's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. And I think that's awesome that you guys are like stepping out of the box. I guess like the, um, a question I had just out of curiosity is like you spent a lot of time at USA cycling and then you, then you left and you went to training peaks and then now you're back. What, what are the biggest, uh, what are the big differences between the first time around? I guess, like what's the, is there positive changes that you've seen? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think ultimately you, you choose your boss and not necessarily your job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rob was a big reason I came back cause I, I, I liked being around him, I liked listening to him. Uh, I wanted to to work with him, learn from him. Uh, so that that was a that was a big draw for me. Uh, I also think the time away. When I left, I was honestly just like I was burnt out. The in that there's no other way to really slice it. Yeah. And that's really the the failure of this Olympic system in that you go four years at a time. Uh, at the end of each year or each quad. Um, Athletes will take breaks, right? You have an off season, you go out, you, you, you spend four weeks, six weeks just doing whatever you want to do. Uh, coaches, administrators, 
the second a world championships over, we're planning for the next year. We're planning for the next cycle. We're planning for the next quad. Yeah. And you don't really get a break. Uh, and I went four quads back to back to back. Uh, as you become proficient or good at something, you inherit more responsibility. So, you know, when, when you started the job, you were responsible for X, Y, and Z. But eight years later, you're responsible for everything from A to Z. And the amount of workload and, and requirements of you just, they just are always increasing. And then in 2016, I was just, I was just blown out. I was burned out. I was tired. I wasn't excited about it anymore and really needed a break. Uh, I was fortunate to, to land in an awesome spot at Training Peaks. I mean, it's a great company. It's world-class people. Uh, I learned a ton while I was there. Um, really, I, I probably can't say enough good things about that experience. Uh, but what it really did for me was, was gave me a chance to, to emotionally detach from the job for at USA cycling. Um, think about something else, do other things, be challenged in other ways. But it also gives you a chance to have perspective on what you've done and what you had done and what you had accomplished and what was good and what could have been better and, and what you would do if you were given another opportunity. Um, somewhere along 2019, uh, I knew I was going to end up back in high performance. I just didn't know where. I didn't think it would be USA Cycling, uh, but I knew it would be somewhere. Um, and so I was always kind of thinking, playing in my mind, like, you know, what do I think about my development programs? Or what do I change? What do I think about the national team? What do I think about elite athletics? What do I think about coaching dev and, and education? Just just everything. And, and what would I change? And, you know, I guess uniquely enough, I did get a second opportunity here. Um, and for me, I came in really guns blazing and, and like, okay, this is now I know, and this is what we're going to do. And this is, these are the changes. So for me, really not COVID dependent, I was going to make a ton of changes. Um, but that, I think that perception and that perspective really perspective is the word I'm looking for, but that opportunity of perspective to look at something and examine it and, and do it really emotional free because you no longer are tied to it was, was probably invaluable for me. That like when you're burnt out, step away, um, get over being burnt out and kind of, kind of remember what you loved about it and then to finally be able to evaluate it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. Yeah, um, so a lot of these changes that you see, uh, these were already in my head, and and I was already going to do them. Uh, and and just the the opportunity that COVID presents with no day to day activities, no day to day racing, no day to day grind. It, it was you never get nine months where you can just erase the whiteboard and start over. Right. So did, what, did it, like, uh, did COVID, how did, I guess, did, how did COVID change all of your plans that you had in place then? Like how much did that rattle it? Um, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think it was both positive and negative. I mean, when I came, when I came back in March, I expected that what we'd probably do is, is do a quick overview on where preparations were from Tokyo. And then we would probably have to run what we brought and, and that was going to be the year more or less. Uh, so these 
in my mind, I thought, you know, coming into the year, the changes probably were going to be 21, 22. Um, as, as COVID unfolded, it presented the opportunity to expedite those and, and do them right now and, and put them in place. Uh, the negative side of that is, is USAC's down 80% on revenue in 2020. We're already tracking 70% down in 2021. So financially, we might not be able to do anything. So that that's the negative side of it, um, you know. Ho hopefully, hopefully people buy racing licenses and memberships, and and it's not as bad as it looks. But uh, it's not at the moment in a great spot. Are you? I guess like how is the organization as a whole? Is it fairly positive within kind of like its perspective and what it's focused on? Well, we. I would say yes and no. Uh, I think I think that what we're working towards, everybody's very uh, enthusiastic about. Good. Um, we did furlough, you know, 50% of our staff in March of last year. Majority haven't come back yet. Um, they're starting to. We have a we have a return to work plan, but it's it's phased out based on uh, how we're doing the membership because we have to forecast on where we think we're going to be, but. Yeah. but if we're not matching those forecasts, then we have to slow slow our roll. Um, so from that perspective, uh, everybody's been doing above and beyond their work, and in, in the COVID year, it's just like, okay, look, you can you can hunker down, you can grind, you can do other people's jobs. We we shifted workloads everywhere, um, but you turn the corner into 2021, and you're looking at more of the same, and it's it is a little bit demoralizing and a little bit. Uh, uh, depressive yeah. and and you're just like oh man we're facing a massive uphill battle here and and really you kind of start to acknowledge that, that, that you hope everybody also recognizes that and, and and without without memberships without members uh, it's not only it's not only USAC revenue, but it's races, it's promoters, it's event organizers who also then are like, well, there's no members. What do we do? And, you know? Yeah. Who do we cater to? What do we do? So it, it has a lot of downstream consequences. And, and I think that's, I think that's the tough part of 2021 is like, are we looking down the barrel of a gun or are we actually, do we have a chance? Yeah, I, I I have faith. I think that things will come around. Um, personally, at least just looking from my athletes. I mean, my athletes are are eager, super eager. Um, but I also know that people are more cautious, um, and maybe a little bit more pessimistic. So that makes things hard too. Um, yeah. But yeah, I certainly hope so. Yeah, I think you have to be. I think it's a lot of the wait and see. Is you know, I'll buy a license when racing returns. Right. Right. Um, that kind of approach and, and I, don't, I don't blame people this is a, this is a really tough time yeah um, you know I look at it like my gym memberships yeah, yeah. membership I, I pay for it I'm not overly psyched about it because I don't get to use it yeah uh, but I do want them to be there when when they can and I can go back yeah so so you kind of eat it disgruntly <laughs> But it is what it is, and, and I hope they're there when 
when things really are back to normal. Well, that's the encouragement for people to <laughs> do what they can if they can. Um, yep. yep. Definitely in that camp. Um, but all right, it has been an hour and a half. Um, so I guess I will. So what, one thing I have been doing going back, I guess, more on the coaching front um, is I've been asking um, the last couple of coaches just what their favorite workout is that they have been giving right now. Um, just out of like curiosity sake. Hmm. All of a sudden, like all the riders that I have that are telling me their favorite workouts are running through my head. Because <laughs> uh, I do, I do try to, I do try to make the workouts fun. I'm not, I don't think I'm here to entertain people, but I do try to keep them fun and engaged. Yeah. Um, I I have a workout I call the Hell of the North, so it's a it's a Perry Roubaix replica ride. Wow! All right. And it and it basically starts off with just an hour of basic endurance, moves into a hour of a half hour of endurance plus, into a half hour of tempo, into three by ten LT, and then a set of twenty forties. Wow. And and it just progressively gets harder. Uh, it's about three hours, I think. Of, all in all, it's about three hours. Um, but th I think that's a fun one, and I think most of the guys riding it, uh, when they come back, they're like, that was fun. Yeah. It's good variety, too. I mean, like that tests you all the way through, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, gives you the next thing to focus on, so you're not just like, all oh, right, great, now I just need to ride. Yep. Yeah, I like that. And that probably after I told you earlier in the conversation that, that I like to keep it simple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it's yes. pretty simple, right? You yeah. know where you're headed. It's right. it's a fun workout, and right. And it's and you only have what I guess like you could think about it as you only have three efforts that you you have to do. Um, they're just you know tough and spread out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 The other the other big piece there would be the Camp of Champs. I've got January's for the Camp of Champs, <laughs> and. Uh, the camp of champs are going in Austin. That's that's uh, my world tour guys just bang out ten days crushing Dang. each other. Dang. It's it's a nasty it's a nasty camp, uh, but it's cool. They dig it. They come out of it with a huge huge workload. Um, Kate's headed to uh, what we call Malibu camp on Friday. <laughs> it's in Malibu. Um, nice. So. I like to do things like that too, where it's, it's, you can mentally engage for 10 days on something uh, that you, you create that's fun and, and interesting and guys can rally, guys or girls can rally around and, and yeah. get their head around that this is going to be 10 hard days. Yeah. Um, so those would be my workouts. Those are my favorite workouts at the moment. I like that. What's, so for the, you know, the camp of champs and, you know, Kate's camps, like what, uh, is it mostly like a, a volume centric camp or are you kind of like having a multifaceted approach or you have them have workouts every single day? Like what's, uh, I guess, what's your approach? Yeah. Uh, typically we do like, uh, four on one off three on that gets us eight days, mm -hmm. uh, for the guys, for the pro tour guys, it, it'll be typically five and four. Okay. Um, but the base of that is the, the, 
big endurance plus days, and those are those are big kilojoule days. So they they generate generally generate a lot of fatigue. Um, and then you anchor them with some threshold workouts at this time of the year. So and and we try to do typically you do the threshold threshold workout solo, but because there's a group, we try to pair them up and do uh, two. So it's it's a minute on, minute off. Um, you're probably working above threshold on the front, below threshold on the back, but it, it averages out to threshold. Nice. So fun things like that. Nice. So use use the power of the group. The motivation of the group is huge. Um, you get so much more quality work done together than you do alone. Uh, you just can't always do it together. Right. Man, that sounds kind of fun. <laughs> In a narcissistic kind of way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that sounds awesome. All right. Well, well sweet. Um, this has been great having you on. I really appreciate it. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so how can our listeners um, find you? Like, how can they um, reach out to you if they would like to? Oh, email is always fine. Um, USAC email is fine. It's jmillerusacycling.org. Uh, Twitter is jmillertime, Jim Miller Time, and Instagram is Jim Miller Time. Cool. Very cool. Well, um, yeah, thank you again. And, you know, thanks again for everyone who tuned in today. Um, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I certainly did. Um, so find us on Instagram at training edge pod and send me messages or requests, um, at any time, anything is open. Um, but everyone have a wonderful week and, uh, until next episode, keep working hard and keep finding your edge.